of Acts. We have been walking through our sermon series, Refresh, looking at the book of Acts, looking at the early church and the way in which the early church responded uh, to changes in their situation, in their culture, in their um, uh, circumstances, and how did they respond, and how can we refresh our priorities as a church in the midst of this season of change ourselves? Well, as I was just praying, we are keenly aware of the suffering that has existed in the world over the last year and a half. And I don't know about you, but I long for an end to suffering. Whether that's major suffering or even minor suffering that we experience, that we're like, oh, well, in the midst of knowing what other people are going through, maybe this isn't even worth sharing, but it's also incredibly painful personally. I'm ready for that suffering to be over. But it seems knowing the scriptures, that until the Lord returns, suffering is going to be a part of our story. So how can we go through it? How can we walk through suffering well? How can we learn what it means to glorify the Lord in the midst of our suffering? And so this morning, I want us to look at this, uh, the 27th chapter of Acts, as we, we focus in on Paul's suffering? And how can we respond to Paul's suffering? Now, this is an interesting chapter, right? There are only 28 chapters in the book of Acts, but all of chapter 27 is focused on this encounter that Paul has where he is shipwrecked. There's a lot of detail here. It's a great narrative But the question is, why focus so much on this event when there's so many other things that are a part of this story? Why does Luke focus here? Well, we we can only speculate why Luke focuses here, but I think one of the things to know is that the church had faced opposition and was going to continue to endure opposition. And so Luke is writing for us, how does Paul endure opposition and suffering, and how does he respond so that we can learn? how he responds. So this morning, what I want us to do is look at Paul's experience of shipwreck so that we can know how to endure suffering, no matter what the circumstance of our suffering is, and not shipwreck our faith. How do we not shipwreck our faith even when we endure the winds of life? So let's read together, starting in Acts 27. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman official, Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Just remember where we are in this story. Paul has gone through several trials. He has appealed to Caesar, and he is being sent to Caesar. He is finally being sent to Rome on this case. But remember, they don't even have like a formal set of charges to give to him because they've all said, well... Uh, He's not guilty of anything. These are charges that are not, they they, they don't fit. He hasn't done anything wrong, but we have to, uh, we've we've arrested him. We've got to do something with him. We wanted to uh, send him back to Jerusalem to appease the Jews that were accusing him, but we knew he was going to get killed there. And so Paul appeals to Caesar and he's being sent to Caesar finally. 
Aristarchus, that's a good guess, I think. Uh, a Macedonian from Thessalonica was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was, I'm not even going to try, on the northwest coast of uh, the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, we docked at Sidon. Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his, his needs. This is a sharp contrast from the other Roman officials in which Paul has been confined. Remember, there was uh, the Roman official Lysias who uh, rescues him from this mob that's trying to kill him only to say, beat a confession out of him which would have likely killed him. This official knows that Paul is not guilty of anything and therefore allows Paul some freedom to visit with his friends. Humanizes this situation for Paul. Even if Paul is guilty of something, to deny him access to visitors, to deny him access to human contact would not be humane. And this Roman official at least has the, the sense to see the humanity in Paul and to offer this to him. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland, keeping to the open sea. We passed along the coast of Sicily and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, so he put us on board. Remember, put us on board. Luke is actually a participant in this part of the story. Uh, At various points in this story, we've seen uh, Luke switches from the they to the us. Luke is along for the ride here. So part of the reason we have all this detail is Luke remembers it very well. This is not a, a situation that you would forget. We had several days of slow sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally arrived near Sidenus. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of La Silla. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead. If we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, farther up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. Paul here is getting to this place of where he's arrived at at this location, and he's telling them, guys, we cannot go further. Do not go further. We are going to risk our lives and the officers take heed to the ship's captain and uh, the owner of the ship more than to Paul. And we're going to see Paul was right and they were wrong as they are going to face shipwreck. Before we continue in the story, what I want to see for us this morning is I want us to look at what 
how, how do we endure suffering? And therefore, what are the causes of the sufferings that we would face in this world? And we can see some of those causes in this text. Causes of suffering in this world certainly can be related to our own sin. Now, sin can be a cause of our suffering because there are consequences to our actions. Certainly, Paul is not guilty of any crime, but we don't know all of the other prisoners along this journey. Some of them are likely guilty of actual crimes, and they are facing the consequences for their actions. Sometimes the consequences of our actions cause us harm and suffering. That's a real thing. You may be in a situation like that now, where your sin, your lies, your hatred, your violence, your abuse, your greed, your gluttony, your sexual immorality, some of these things might be the cause of your suffering. The natural consequences to living a life that is not under God's rule and reign, there are natural consequences to that. This is why the law is a good guide for us. Because it showcases us, this is how human life ought to thrive. And when we disobey that, there are causes to that. Now, to be clear, I don't think that the natural disaster of this storm is caused by the sin of these prisoners, right? Like, I don't think that COVID is a direct judgment on individual sins that we are facing. Jesus actually makes this quite clear. In John chapter 9, they encounter a blind man and they ask Jesus who sinned, him or his parents, to cause this situation. He says, no, 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 you are misunderstanding this. That's not the reason this has happened. This has happened so that the power of God could be shown in his life. And then he heals the blind man. But he denies this idea that this natural occurrence is a direct result of judgment against their individual sins. So we shouldn't read into this that that Paul and these other prisoners had so sinned or the owner of the ship had so sinned that God sends a storm upon them. Right? This happens again in Luke chapter 13. Jesus talks about this situation. They come to him and they say, did you hear about this situation in which Pilate killed a bunch of folks and then mixed their blood in with the blood sacrificed to idols? Like, you know, what happened there? And, Paul, and Jesus says, this is a tragedy, but they were not worse sinners than anyone else. And then he brings up another tragedy. He's like, there was a tower that collapsed. Do you imagine that they were worse sinners than anyone else? No. You should repent, though. Right? What Jesus says is when you see natural disaster or unfortunate circumstances or injustice, you should say, I got to get my life right with God. Not because those instances are specific judgment upon specific sins, but because this is a, an inbreaking of the result of sin. Judgment. Disaster. So when I see those things, I ought to take stock of my own life. Not see to figure out what that person had done wrong so that we can uh, assign uh, some reason for their suffering. But I gotta stay, take stock of my own life. 
Now, that, that piece of it is a little bit different than the, the piece I was talking about earlier of the consequences naturally for your sins. There are real results of personal suffering that come because of foolish living. But that's not really what Paul's facing here. Paul's suffering here is the result of injustice, which is another result of, or another cause of suffering in the world. Paul should not be in this place. He should not be on this ship. Had the officials who were in charge executed proper justice, Paul would not have been arrested. Paul would not have been held for two years without a trial. And then when that trial finally came, Paul would have been released. He would not have had to call upon going to Caesar had they not said, hey, we're going to appease this mob that wants to kill him, so we're going to send him to Jerusalem to be killed. Paul shouldn't be here. This suffering is a result of injustice. And maybe you have faced similar things. Incarceration that is unjust. Encounters with police that are unjust. Racism, sexism, discrimination, some unjust working environment, emotional, physical, sexual, or spiritual abuse, suffering under systems in our culture that are rigged against the poor. Those types types of injustices can create very real and raw suffering. And Paul is enduring it. Paul is enduring this suffering. One of the things that that should teach us, regardless of anything else, is that we should care about those suffering under injustice. Because a person who wrote a majority of the New Testament endured suffering unjustly. Not to mention the crucified king we follow who endured unjust suffering. We should be empathetic and care about suffering under injustice. And then there's the suffering that we all face as well, which is just the fact that this world is broken. This storm that arises on them, injustice has put him in that place, but also just the natural world which is broken is causing an increase in that suffering. Even if it was a smooth sailing trip, he would be suffering under the injustice of being held unjustly, right? But adding insult to that is the fact that he lives in a broken and fallen world, which is, as Romans 8 says, groaning like the pains of childbirth. The natural disasters that we endure are evidence that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. That our lives are so incredibly fragile that something that we can't even see is ravaging the world and killing people right now. This world is broken. Death, COVID, circumstances completely outside of your control, fire, natural disasters, physical sickness and pain, illness, chronic pain, 
loss of sleep. Like, we could go on and on and on. Mental turmoil. Like, this world is broken. And we are going to have to navigate that. Even if you follow Jesus faithfully, obey God's law and not suffer because of foolish living, even if you live in a place in which there are just laws and you are treated justly, even if that's true, you will still face the suffering of a broken world. The storms of life will still come against you at some point. How are we going to guide ourselves through this? Well, what I want to do the rest of this morning is to look at how Paul handles this as a guide for us of how we can endure suffering, how we can navigate the suffering of life without shipwrecking our faith. All right. When a light, be, uh, light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Isn't that sometimes how we feel in life? When a storm comes upon us and we try to fight against it, and then all of a sudden we're like, well, we can't. We'll just let it carry us wherever we go. Don't you feel that way sometimes? We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. When the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it, then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Citrus off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until all, at last, all hope was gone. Now, you may have not been in a situation like this. I don't know of anyone here that has been on a, you know, primitive ship at sea. So, it's probably not your experience. But, but imagine your life and the circumstances that have been difficult and suffering in your life. Doesn't this describe what that feels like? Like, there's no way I can change these circumstances. There's no way I can push against it. And when I try, it feels like there is gale force winds pushing against me. No matter what I do, the sun feels blotted out and all hope is lost. This is the situation that Paul is in. How is Paul going to maintain his faith in a situation in which all hope seems lost? No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God to whom I belong 
uh, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. Even in the midst of believing God's promise, you see, God does not remove all of the suffering. He promises that they're going to make it through, but they are still going to endure hardship. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would be dr- soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes of the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good for not a hair on your head will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. 276 people on a ship in the middle of the uh, Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a storm. This is suffering. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and let them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. See this? Paul earlier was given freedom to go ashore. How easy would it have been to Paul, for Paul to escape? He was amongst his friends. He could have easily escaped. Paul comes back aboard Because he knows the Lord is sending him to Caesar. He knows this is unjust, but he knows the Lord is sending him to to witness to the gospel before Caesar. And so he comes back. He obeys the rules that were laid before him. And what does it do? It saves all of these prisoners who would have been killed. Had Paul not done that, these prisoners would have been killed. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Now, this would make, I mean, this is like a great movie scene, right? Like it is described in great detail how they go through this. Because Luke is trying to get us to recognize how we are to endure 
hardship in life. So how is this, how, how, how do we do this? What is the guide to doing this? Well, the first thing we need to do is embrace weakness. The only way to save your faith is to embrace weakness and admit that suffering will come. You may, like Paul, literally shipwreck. Unlikely, but it may happen. But otherwise, you will certainly face suffering. Maybe you're going to face injustice like Paul did. Maybe you're going to face the consequences for your own sin, but you are certainly going to face the reality of suffering because you live in a broken world. The first step is to embrace weakness. Paul says this about this experience later in 2 Corinthians. In speaking about these other uh, false teachers who have come in and maligned Paul, this is what Paul says. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have fa- and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone often without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul is listing out all of these ways in which he has suffered. But what does he say? Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Paul, in the midst of laying out all of his suffering, in the midst of comparing himself to folks who are saying, don't listen to Paul. Who's that guy? Listen to us. Paul lists all of his suffering, but you know what he doesn't do? He lists all of his suffering and doesn't say, and I have endured because of my strength of faith. He doesn't say, look at this list. None of you have gone through that. And look at how great I have done. Look at my accomplishments, even in light of these things. No, he says, I'm weak. I'm weak. He admits that he is weak in the midst of suffering. He admits that he is frail because the power for his sustaining comes from God, not from him. Sometimes when we go through suffering... Maybe sometimes it's not right. Maybe often when we go through suffering, we try to prove to everyone how strong and tough we are. When we really need to just be honest about how weak we are. Right? We don't let others help us because we're afraid of looking weak. We don't admit how difficult things really are because we're afraid of looking like we don't have it all together. 
We're afraid of showing emotion before one another, especially emotion that is difficult and hard. Being real in those ways because it makes us vulnerable. Because we look weak. We're so afraid of looking weak and we should not be. The first step to enduring suffering and not shipwrecking our faith is to admit this is hard. And I am weak. Who is sufficient for such a thing? Who's sufficient to face injustice or the brokenness of life and endure? No one. Paul says, I am weak, for there is where God shows up in his strength. That's the first step. The second step is to look. The second step is really three steps. So we're going to take like one, one, two, three, right? So embrace weakness and then live out faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love, right? Do for three. Shout out to Rome. Faith. Paul, Paul endures this suffering trusting the Lord. He endures this suffering by continuing to trust that God is sovereign. Right? But what does he say to, the, to the, the guys on the ship? He says, the Lord has met with me through an angel. We are not going to die. I trust this. I'm going to continue to look to God's providence. God has said, I'm going to go to Caesar. I'm going to trust in faith that God knows what he's doing. But you know, sometimes we talk about faith and enduring in faith, meaning that you just endure whatever comes your way. But that's also not what Paul does here. Paul tries to minimize the suffering, right? Trying to minimize the suffering for himself and other people is not against faith. Paul trusts God is sovereign. He trusts that God is in charge of these things. And yet he says, okay, do not leave here because it's gonna go bad for us, right? Paul knows and declares that and seeks to save lives. He seeks to minimize suffering. Sometimes we use our trust in God's sovereignty to avoid working to minimize suffering. Because we say, well, the world is broken, it's fallen. Until Jesus returns, it's gonna be like that. Yes, 100% true. That doesn't mean that we join in in injustice or allowing injustice to rule or seek to minimize suffering. We should seek to minimize suffering wherever possible. That's true all throughout the book of Acts, right? They could have said, well, the poor will always, will always have poor people around. So, You don't have to sell your home in order to provide for this brother and sister in Christ. That's not what they said. They said, there are poor among us. It should not be so. Sell your home so that these folks can have a place to live. Right? Like there is this thrust throughout the book of Acts for the church to be a place that minimizes suffering, not increases suffering or leaves it as status quo. Now, at the same moment, Paul knows in faith that God is sovereign and I'm not going to be able to eliminate suffering in this life. Minimize, yes. Eliminate, no. So he embraces weakness and he trusts in faith. 
he also still submits to God's will. Remember, he could have escaped. He didn't. He followed God's will and God's law. He didn't escape. It's interesting, Paul uses this shipwreck analogy in 1 Timothy 119, he says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Paul knows what shipwreck looks like. He's descri- Luke describes it in great detail. This is what your faith will do if you violate your conscience knowingly. When suffering comes, though, let's be honest. We give ourselves a pass on sin right? We suppress our conscience. It's the quickest way to shipwreck your faith. It's the quickest way to shipwreck your faith, to suppress your conscience, which is telling you, I know this is hard. This sin is not going to solve that problem. And we say, hush, Holy Spirit. We're going to do our own thing. Over the last year and a half, there's been a lot of great suffering. Where have you let your clinging in faith to Jesus slip and give yourself a pass on sin? What's that area of your life that you've just like, it's sliding, it's sliding. Friends, let me warn you like Paul warns the sailors, don't go there, it won't go well. You continue on that path, it is not going to end well. Come back. Come back to where it is safe within God's will. Do not go there. You will shipwreck your faith. Cling to your faith in Jesus. You need to repent if that's the case. Embracing weakness and embracing grace and running back to the loving arms of Jesus. What does Jesus say when the word comes? Remember the parable of the seeds scattered? He says there's this seed that falls on rocky soil. It is received with joy, but as soon as there are problems, it falls away. Why does it fall away as soon as there's problems? Because it's the quickest place for us to say, nope, that's hard. I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna go this way where I can embrace something that will ease my pain even though I know it's wrong and sinful. I'm going there. The first step to enduring suffering is embracing weakness. Secondly, it's clinging to your faith. Cling to Jesus. Again, that doesn't mean that you try to remedy the problem. It doesn't mean that you don't try to remedy the problem, particularly if it is suffering under injustice, but you don't allow the injustice of man to stamp out your view of the justice of God. You don't allow the suffocation of suffering under the weight of injustice to harden your heart to the grace of Jesus. You have to cling to him. Faith, then hope. Paul trusts God and his promise that they will make it. Remember it said all hope had been lost. The situation, all hope had been lost. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. 
For last night, an angel of God, to whom I, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. It's really easy to despair in the face of suffering. Thinking about this and Paul's hope in the midst of this reminded me, a few years ago, we went through the book of Lamentations together, which if you want to go to a place in the midst of your suffering, go to the book of Lamentations. In the middle of the book, it says this, the thought of my suffering, this is chapter three, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words, so I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. This is my favorite line in the whole book. Yet I still dare to hope When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Dare to hope. In the midst of the suffering of this world, if we're going to cling to our faith in Jesus, we have to dare to hope. There are lots of circumstances that look beyond hope. Look at the state of the world. The injustice, the suffering, the pain, the brokenness. And Jesus said he would come back and he has waited a long time. Do you dare to hope? Dare to hope that one day the curse will be reversed. That Jesus will return and that one day there will be no more sin. There will be no more injustice. There will be no more brokenness. Creation groans. Remember we said creation groans. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. What does it groan for? The revealing of the sons of God. The sons and daughters of God being revealed as they truly are. Righteous in Christ and renewed in the new heavens and new earth. All of creation is groaning for it. Right, Our world showcases all the time how broken it is and yet also how there are these seeds of goodness and hope. Dare to hope. In the midst of suffering and sorrow, dare to hope in the promises of God. Dare to hope in the things that God has promised you that Jesus will return and he will look you in the face. He will wipe away every tear of suffering and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The way to endure suffering is not to be strong in yourself. It's to embrace weakness. The way to endure suffering is to cling to your faith in Jesus above all else and to dare to hope in the promise of God for you. And finally, to continue in love. This is wild. In the midst of 276 people gathered together on a boat that's going down, what does Paul do? He took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Did he serve communion with them? That word break is used in the feeding of the 4,000 and 5,000 miracles in the Last Supper, and the Lord's Supper, and here. Indication seems likely 
that Paul breaks bread with them in serving them the Lord's Supper. He offers Jesus' broken body to them. In the midst of their suffering, he preaches the gospel to them as they go down in the ship, some of whom were his captors and have done wrong to him. He continues to love them. Paul understood what Jesus said when he said, no, 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 don't just love your friends. Everyone does that. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Serve others. Paul is continued to is concerned for the good of others continually. His good graces with the authorities actually save his life and the other prisoners from being recklessly killed, as we already talked about. Paul showcases that you, in the midst of your suffering, can still love others. Paul, in the midst of being shipwrecked, is still preaching the gospel and loving his enemy. Not only do we often give ourselves a pass to sin in suffering, we also give ourselves a pass to being a jerk to our neighbors because we're suffering. Or just avoiding them completely. Right? Like there's too much going on right now, so I'm not going to love anyone. Paul continues to love others. And Paul doesn't shipwreck his faith. I'm not saying that you should do that because uh, you shouldn't take any break or rest to recharge. No, no, no. Don't hear me saying that. But I'm saying if you use your present suffering as an excuse to never love your neighbor, your brothers and sisters in Christ, or your enemies, you will shipwreck your faith. Absolutely. Because you're not embracing Jesus. If there's ever an example, Paul's an example, but if there's ever an example of someone loving others in the midst of his suffering, it's Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We want to cling to Jesus then cling to loving others. It actually comes back around to Paul too. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Not only right then, but also, remember earlier where Paul was able to have some freedom? What happened? He was served by his friends. Paul loves others, loves his enemies, offers them Jesus and continues to care for them, he also is served by others. One of the ways in which we burn out is we, we end up laying too heavy on this love others and don't allow others to do the same with us. In your suffering, you need to allow others to serve you. Because they need to serve because that's being like Jesus. And also, you're weak. You can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. If you're going to cling to faith in Jesus, if you're going to dare to hope and you're going to love your enemies, you think you can do that alone? You can't. You need to embrace weakness and be served by others because ultimately you need to embrace weakness and be served by Jesus. If we're going to continue to love others and be served by others, if we're going to dare to hope in the midst of hopeless situations, if we're going to cling to faith in Jesus, we need to embrace weakness and be served by Jesus. 
because he gets it. He suffered under injustice. He suffered death and weakness, and he did so in order to die the death that you and I deserve to die for our sins. He suffered in all the ways that cause suffering, except the sin was not his, it was ours. And then he rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, Satan, and suffering so that any and all who trust in Jesus can be assured the hope of eternal life in glory. But he said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. So let's not think we're greater than Jesus. Let's be served by him. In the midst of all of our suffering, let's run to the cross of Jesus Christ and be served. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now. Lord, admitting our weakness. As Paul says, who is weak and I am not weak. Lord, we are weak. We need you. We desperately need you. Life is hard. Suffering is real. Lord, would you come near to us and serve us, Jesus? Would you showcase yourself to be faithful? Would you grant to us faith, hope, and love? Jesus, be honored as we endure in faith the suffering of life. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.